The reading this morning is John 14, 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You, hear, you heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now that I have told you before, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will, not much long, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father." Rise, let us go from here. Thanks, John. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, the scriptures. Would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you lead the way this morning? Even as we've uh, just sung your praises, we know that your promise is that you would dwell um, in the praises of your people. So we trust that you're here. You're always with us. I want you to be our teacher now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Um, my, my name's Simon. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here, one of several leaders who are here to serve our church. Thanks for being here. As Shirley said, thanks for being so faithful. You're so cheeky, my love. That's my wife. I, don't, I, think, I think every single time someone hands you a microphone and asks you to stand up, I don't know key, who keeps asking you to do this. <laughs> But somehow you always manage to, to slide in that little comment about, oh yeah, I'll take cash as well. You say that every time. 
the joke in our house is don't leave cash laying around. Mama will get it. All right. Charlie, I feel you, I feel you, buddy. I feel you. All right, John 14. Thank you for the reading, John. Um, We're still in uh, the upper room. So Ben did a fantastic job last week. Um, And a really, really cool moment as we sort of zoomed in on this uh, very intimate conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples in what we refer to as the upper room. It's this little meeting room upstairs in some, some house in Jerusalem, um, virtually just hours before Jesus is betrayed, arrested, crucified, um, and ultimately resurrected. But this is like a really uh, intense moment. Several times uh, he says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I leave my peace. So you can tell um, there's a lot of um, yeah, trepidation, anxiety, consternation in the room. And Jesus is, um, he, he's not simply saying, hey, it's, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Don't. No, he's, he's leaning into the moment. Um, it, it, would, it would seem with a real honest realization that, yeah, this is, this is going to be something. Hold on. Uh, trust me. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to abandon you. Um, everything is going exactly according to plan. But you can, if you imagine being there in the moment, um, I hope you can feel sort of the tension rising in the room. And this is where we, we're at. This is where we're still at in the upper room. Um, he starts out this particular section that we've just read by saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In fact, uh, three times he says that, essentially, in these 15 verses that we just read. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, it's, it almost sounds a little, um, I don't know, ominous, threatening, maybe. Like, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Which is, in essence, what he's saying. Um, now you feel about that. If you love me, you will obey me. Obedience is actually a really big deal um, all, all throughout the scriptures, um, including this, uh, this relationship that Jesus has with these, well, it's 11 disciples in this moment. Judas Iscariot has already left the room. The devil's put it in his heart to go and betray Jesus, and we've already talked about that. Um, but he, he wants to teach his disciples, which would include us at this point in history, to obey. He, and if you're wondering, like, well, obey in what way? Obey, obey what exactly? Well, Jesus says a lot. He gives a lot of commandments, but really, I think if we were to sort of sum it up, if we, could, if we could boil it all down, the commandment, the thing that Jesus is teaching his disciples to obey is simply to love each other, to love each other uh, the way that he has loved them, or to be 
exact the way he's about to love then. Because he's about to go to the cross and lay his life down. And he talks about there is no greater love than this. This is, this is how God loves. He sacrifices himself for, uh, for us, for his kids. And so this is the commandment that Jesus um, is telling his disciples to obey. If you love me, then you will obey my commandment. Jesus wants obedience. And this is, depending upon how you read it, um, I used to read it as like, oh, this is, this, this is sort of like Jesus saying, hey, like love me or else, or obey me or else. I, I, don't, I don't think that would be, um, that's, I don't think that is the tone of the moment. It's certainly not the character of Jesus. If you love me, then you will obey me. I think it's better read as those uh, who love me, obey me. Because they love me. He's actually speaking to the motivation of obedience. Because there's a lot of reasons to do all sorts of things. There's reasons to uh, maybe adhere to some sort of a religious or ethical code. Um, It could be due to maybe a fear of of, of punishment, like do this or else. It could be for maybe um, a desire for personal gain. Do these certain things, apply these specific principles, and maybe you'll in some way benefit. Some are good reasons, some maybe not so good. All of them probably a mixture of motives. But here Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will obey me. And so he's connecting obedience with the motivation of love. He's actually saying something about um, what obedience has to do with my heart, as it were, my affections, my desires. And I think this is actually really good news. This is really good news. Um, I remember when I was younger, like younger, younger. I grew up in a Christian home, as did many of you, I'm sure, some sort of a religious home. And there were certain expectations that maybe you can recall um, as a child, like don't lie to your parents. That's a big deal. Um, Don't steal. Anyone ever get caught stealing when you're like you were a little kid? the worst um i remember one time i was uh, i fell in with a rough crowd and uh one of the kids had it in in their mind to we would go toilet papering does anyone ever do that anymore (laughs) does anyone not know what i'm talking about toilet papering so you load your backpack up with toilet paper some of you are looking at me like what is this thing Check it out. TPing, toilet papering. Load your backpack up with toilet paper. And then when your parents are asleep, you all set the time and location to rendezvous, you and your little buddies. And then you pick a target and you just like blanket the house in toilet paper. Like over the roof, through the trees, around the car. And that's called, does, does anyone still do this? Has anyone ever done this? Okay, thank you. I'm like, dude, where, did I grow up in some like weird thing? And I remember getting caught one time. And uh, I tried to hide 
one of my friend's dads came out and he's like, who's there? Who's there? And I was like, like I froze <laughs> thinking that they wouldn't be able to see me because somehow I was like frozen. And he like obviously saw me and, uh, and he, I got busted. I got busted. So I didn't do that again for fear of being found out. Jesus wants to teach his disciples how to obey him from a motive of love. He wants to engage with our affections. This sets us free from what I call the tyranny of the ought. There's certain ways that I ought to act. There's certain things that I ought to do. There's certain behaviors that I ought not to participate in. But deep down, I have these desires that compel me to sometimes do different. Uh, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he has this whole sort of, um, this thing, he goes back and forth talking about the things that he wants to do, and, but he does the things that he doesn't want to do, and the things that he doesn't want to do are the things that he ends up doing, and he ends this whole tirade by saying, who will set me free? Thanks be to God, who through Jesus Christ has done just that. But he's sort of teasing out this idea that every one of us um, will find ourselves sort of um, at odds with things that we ought to do or ought not to do and then the things that we actually want to do. And Jesus is saying, I want to teach you how to live the life that I've saved you for, that I've created you for, not just because you ought, but because something on the level of your affections would compel you to do so. Jesus wants us to obey him because we love him. That's really good news. He's looking um, for more than just acquiescence. Okay, fine, I'll do it. For God's sake, I don't want to get in trouble. He's not looking for mere acquiescence. He's looking for our affection. Um, Jessica, I love what you said during worship. Where'd you go, Jessica? Hello. Jesus wants to romance us. I don't know if that's there in the Greek, per se. Oh, but that is there every page of the story. Jesus has come to woo his people. He wants us to love him. Uh, that's freedom from the ought. Uh, elsewhere, I mentioned the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, he says that we have been set free so that we may now serve, that we may obey, rather, from the heart. We have been set free that we might obey from the heart. That's freedom. That's freedom. Now, in verse 16, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Ah, the helper. Um, this is the first time that Jesus makes explicit mention of the helper. Uh, the spirit of truth, or um, as he says later, the Holy Spirit. 
God the Spirit, as we say it in sort of theological terms, the Holy Spirit. So he's not just saying you should love me, I want you to love me, you really ought to love me, but I'm going to help you love me. Because how many of you know you can't just like pretend love? You know, sometimes we say stuff like fake it till you make it. And there's some truth in that. Sometimes you've just got to put one foot in front of the next. Sometimes you've just got to show up. Sometimes you've just got to make a choice. But that only gets you so far. Eventually, you want to actually experience love. Like on a level of affection. I'm not just pretending so that maybe someday my heart will actually align with this thing that I profess no Jesus wants us to like actually experience love for him so that as we practice obeying him, as we actually participate in sacrificial love, there's like something, an actual desire that would compel us to live this way, that we might even find joy in living this way. And so he promises to send us the helper, the spirit And then he begins to talk about the Spirit, how we're going to interact with this Holy Spirit. And very, he uses very relational terms. He says that uh, the world cannot see him or know him, but you will because you do. You see him, you know him because he's with you and will be in you. Uh, Seeing and knowing are parallel categories in in, in Bible speak. It's this idea of being seen or seeing someone like without, without, without a lens, without a veil, without this sort of um, distance that would um, separate us. And um, again, a lot of Romans today. No, it's not Romans. It's, um, it's the Apostle Paul writing to, I think it's in the second letter. It's the third chapter of his second letter to the church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And now with unveiled faces, we behold him. And as we do, we become like him, being transformed from one glory to the next. And this is from God, who is the spirit. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This notion of seeing It has to do with proximity. It's a relational category. When we see God or when we're seen by him, we're knowing him. We're beginning to know him just as he's always known us. But how many of you find that? um, It sounds kind of cool to me. This idea of like, yes, relationship, knowing God. I love it, Ben. You you did it again last week. I'm like, yes, yes, more of that. That's your jam right there. And then I always walk away thinking like, yeah, but how does that work again? (laughs) Relationship. How does that work again? Relationship with the Spirit. Hmm. God helps us. He doesn't just give us principles to adhere to. He comes close. He helps us to love him, not by just giving us how-to steps. He gives us himself 
to be with us and in us. Instead of more spiritual principles, we find God offering us relational proximity. In um, Acts chapter 19, it's just like when Holy Spirit stuff is happening in the early church. Um, we're told that, again, this is the Apostle Paul. He's traveling around Europe and um, telling people about Jesus, what he's done for the world. Forgiveness of sins is now available on mass scale. Just trust Jesus. And um, so people start believing. And he starts up a church, a community, which I imagine is probably about this size. I don't know, maybe a bit smaller, in Ephesus. Um, and uh, he meets some believers in Ephesus. Uh, apparently, they had heard someone else teaching about Jesus, who was probably Apollos, or maybe some disciples of, of Apollos, one of the other early leaders in the church. And Paul meets these disciples, these believers, in Ephesus, and he asks them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Isn't that an interesting question? So he realizes, oh, you're... You're followers of Jesus. You guys are going to church? Cool. Let's go. Wait, what church do you go to? Oh, there's only one in Ephesus. Cool. Let's go to church together. You guys want to talk about Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus. Okay, so this is how I imagine it going down. Paul's like, dude, I, I'm meeting other believers that, that were converted by someone else's preaching. This is unreal. Like, it's, it's happening. It's happening. Just as Jesus said, it's happening. And he meets these believers, and instead of asking them, like, okay, whoa, 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 okay, what exactly do you believe? Okay, let's, let's hold on. You say you believe, but where do you stand on gay marriage? Whoops. Mm. Pro-life, pro-choice. Who did you vote for? Let's get into some doctrine. Now, some of you, I, I'm doing this on purpose, all right? I realize, like, this is... Okay, what are, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you implying? I think these are actually important things. We spend about four hours at GC Lead talking about sexual ethics and the biblical definition of marriage. We talk about life. This week, tomorrow night, in fact, we'll, at GC Lead, this is like our, our annual leadership cohort, we're going to talk about the intersection of spirituality and politics, and what does it mean to submit to the governing authorities. So we talk about all these things, super important, because this is like real life. Where does my understanding of God's word actually inform what it means to love people like God loves me? So I don't just get to make it up as I go. Like God defines love for me. But here's my point. When Paul meets these believers in Ephesus, the first question he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Clearly you believe in Jesus. We've established that, it would seem. But did you receive the Holy Spirit? 
Now, some of you in here will immediately start making this into like, oh yeah, but if they were Christians, then obviously they had already received the Holy Spirit. And we can get all these like weird debates about like, you know, do you receive the Holy Spirit right when you're saved? Is there this like second indwelling? Like, and all this very important stuff. Theological things. How do we, how do we connect all the dots and make sense out of it? But that does not, that shouldn't overshadow the question. Do you just believe or have you actually received? Have you experienced what it feels like to have a heart that's being filled with the love of God? God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. What Jesus is talking about here actually says something about the experiential aspect of knowing God. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? I would ask it this way because that was the first century. That was, there was a very, very particular context there. I would ask it this way. Have you received the Holy Spirit lately? Because the New Testament imperative is to like go on being filled. Be filled and be filled and be filled. Don't, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like get drunk a lot in the Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit lately? When we start talking about the love of God that compels us to obey Jesus, do you know what that feels like? And if you say no, no condemnation on you, I would just encourage you, receive. Know that there is um, like a very real experiential opportunity. And you could say, yeah, I'd love that. I'd love to be set free from the tyranny of the ought. I don't wanna just force myself to do the things I would love for my heart to be completely enraptured in the love of God in a way that his love compels me. That I'm like caught up in something that's so big, so beautiful, I feel like I'm being romanced by the creator of the universe. It is my great joy to obey my king because he's good. And there is joy in losing my life that I might find new life, his life, in following him. Life that I now live, I live by faith and the one who died for me. So principles versus proximity. If you like the principles, it could be very frustrating for you. If you just simply want another book or more information, if you're a note taker in church, and I love note takers in church, I'm, I'm one of you, old school. Toilet paper houses and take notes in church. That's the way forward. That's the abundant life. Do not, what? I told baby, your house. Dude, we should start, that'd be fun, right? No, 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 no. Bad, bad rainforest, right? We gotta, sorry. Um, if you like the principles, you might find yourself very frustrated because Jesus is more interested and giving us more of himself that we would experience 
something of a, what I call relational proximity. Now he says this, verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, I feel bad for that guy. <laughs> Couldn't they just call him like JB or like, what's his last name? Judas, not Iscariot, it's so tragic. Said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? That's a good question. So Judas, not Iscariot, immediately he, um, that's the, it's interesting that he zooms in on that. So Jesus, how does all this work in such a way that it, it's not available to the quote-unquote world, but it is to us? What does that even mean? How does that work? And Jesus answers. If anyone loves me, he will keep it. He essentially says, okay, let's take it from the top. Take it from the top. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will abide in him or her. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Okay, got that, got that. And then he says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. He's like, I've, I've told you these things ad nauseum. Okay, you, you get that, right? Okay. Now, I've said these things while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. It'll be like I'm there with you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm sending another just like me. So this relationship that we've been experiencing, it's gonna continue on. Only I'm gonna make it available to anyone who would believe, who would repent and believe. And then he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, etc., etc. It doesn't really answer the question. He reiterates what he'd said. I want you to obey me. I'm going to teach you how to do it in a way that's actually an out, outworking of your affections. Love. I'm going to send the helper. And it's going to be relational. It's going to be like the way I've related with my father. You're, you're now going to be included in this, um, like a family. My father and I are going to come and we're going to make our home with you and in you. Okay, it's all very relational. And he says, I'm going to leave you my peace don't be afraid, don't be anxious. I'm gonna leave you my peace, but not in a way that the world knows peace. So this, this is, um, this says something about the, the uniqueness of the kind of peace, the kind of life that Jesus is inviting his disciples into. It's unlike 
any peace or life or love or kingdom in the world. Because when he says the world, he's not just talking about like planet Earth, as if like the problem is creation. He's talking about the kingdom of the world. There's, there's, a, there's a system, there's a way, there's a kingdom that exists in this world that offers peace in a particular way. That, off, that can, will offer you what you're looking for, a salvation, if you will, an eternal life, if you will, in a particular way. But the way Jesus is offering this is unlike anything the world knows or has on offer. Now, this is kind of controversial because in a way where Jesus is sort of like drawing a line. He's saying, look, at there's, there's, there's the way the world does it, the kingdom of the world. I've got my own kingdom. I've got my own thing going on. And I'm inviting everyone to leave that old world, to turn their backs on that old kingdom, to break allegiance with the kingdom of darkness, which is coming down, and join my kingdom and experience a different kind of peace, a lasting peace. What is, what is the difference that he's talking about? Now, he doesn't really say it explicitly, which means we've really kind of got to keep listening. We continue walking with Jesus. We lean in a little bit more. Just just like Judas. He he picks up on it. He's like, wait, what? So you're offering us something that the world doesn't know about? How does that work? Now, of course, they understood that there's like a supernatural element to this. The Holy Spirit, that's that's not like a new concept by any means. The Holy, Holy Spirit's all over the Old Testament. What, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Not as the world gives do I give to you. In, okay, I'll put it this way. Really, we just have to keep reading. But for the sake of this morning, I'd like to make a few concluding thoughts. I was uh, outside yesterday afternoon, pressure washing the outside of our church building. Pretty nice. Not really. I was like, oh, I hate this. Someone else should be doing this. <laughs> pressure washing the outside of our church building. And uh, I could hear a, what sounded like a parade or a march of some sort approaching the building. And usually it's down MLK. It's pretty common. Like no matter what's going on, there's, there's always something happening. This time, I saw a few people, all black, on little motorbikes, right up just here on, on, on Mason and Garfield, right on our corner. And they stopped. They were clearly prepared to block traffic. And it was getting louder and louder and louder. And they're coming down Garfield. First thing I see is, um, is someone like with a, they looked like a military attire, all black, with a big old artillery rifle, like an AK. Big, big gun. I'm assuming it was real. And then someone with a loudspeaker, and they were chanting, no justice, no peace. Blankety blank, racist police. And they were chanting it over and over and over. And of course, you know, I kept watching. I got a little nervous. I'm like up on my ladder doing stuff, and I think, okay, I don't look like a pastor right now. I don't look like a pastor. That's good. That's good. 
And I don't know what you think about that or how you feel about that, but I'm just telling you, this is how I felt in the moment. I'm up on my ladder doing the thing, and this, they come marching by, and they're just screaming. They're like, like really uh, aggressive, super aggressive, and there was a couple more guns, big old artillery rifles, and they're shouting these words. And I just felt like my anxiety levels go up and up. Now, clearly, that something was going on there connected to pain, injustice. If I had to guess, you know, the narrative I began to create, so the black woman with the megaphone who was shouting out the call and everyone else was like repeating the chant, I kept, I wondered to myself, gosh, what's her story? What's her story? I wonder if she lost someone. What sort of injustice did she experience that would like compel her to like, to, to that? And I'm kind of wondering, like, there's got to be a story. It's got to be a story. Now, whatever I think about the politics of BLM or this or that, the other, in that moment, I'm like, Dad, what is her story? What are their, what's their story that would compel them to demand justice? No justice, no peace. Thus the guns. And I thought, man, okay. That's, that's one way to, I suppose, to process real, real life experiences. I've thought a lot about this, not just yesterday, by the way. This just happened. I was thinking about this all week. And I was praying about the message this morning, these words. And I kept thinking about just that, that, um, yeah, that, that chant no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. I'm sure that's not just like a 2021 thing. It probably started in the 60s or something. I don't know. Forgive me for not knowing. But that chant, I've thought about it so much over the last few years. And I've wondered to myself, God, what's your answer to that? What's your response? How do you feel about that? Of course, I'm searching the scriptures, trying to just get my head around, like, how do we actually practice sacrificial love to our city and to our, our neighborhood? How do we love people who you might feel threatened by? You might think, ooh, they're, they're my enemies. I'm, I'm a white pastor in a gentrified neighborhood. Clearly, I'm the enemy. How do I feel about that? How do I respond in a way that actually is the love of Christ? With courage, with compassion, and I wasn't going to say anything. I thought about it all week. I'm like, nah, I kept coming up in my heart. I'm like, nah, I don't, want, I don't want to go there. It's too political. That's so 2021. We've moved on. We clearly haven't moved on. So as soon as that happened, I'm like, all right, Lord, let's, we'll go there tomorrow. We'll talk about it. I think this is what Jesus is talking about. Now, you've got to keep reading the story to be sure. But he's talking about a peace that he offers those who would trust him that the world cannot offer you. So it's a different kind of peace that's available a different kind of way. Here's, here's the tricky thing. Here's the subtle, the nuance in the whole thing. God is a God of justice. 100%. He will see that justice is done. He will see that every knee will bow. His kingdom, which is a political category, will be established on earth as it's always existed in heaven. And every opposing kingdom 
Our political framework will be torn down. And Jesus' kingdom, King Jesus will reign. These are, these are all, these are, Jesus is Lord is a political slogan. But how does he usher in peace? Well, God will see that justice is done. Here's the trick. The more we lean in to like, God's heart for justice, the more we realize that everyone is subject to the justice of God. I want justice done. I want to see justice done. I got my own things going on in my life. People have wronged me. I've been hurt. I've seen injustice. Now, probably not, not, not like that lady, I'm sure. But I want to see justice done. And the more I demand justice, the more I hear God saying, yeah, you're right. Justice must be done. What do you, what do you say? What do you say? What shall we do? What do you want to do? How far do you want to go? Shall we deal with just certain people? Should we deal with the whole world? Should we just deal with the superficial? Shall we address the heart? And the more and more we press God for justice, the more I hear the Spirit of God saying, justice will be done. Justice will be done. My kingdom will come and every knee will bow. How far do you want to take it? When we finally get to the cross, in a moment we see just how determined God is to see justice done. When the Son, is, Son of Man is lifted up, all of the sin in the world, including mine, including my own wicked heart, is put on Christ. He becomes sin for me, for us. Justice is done. So that the peace of God might reign. This, this is the twist. I want justice. And there is no peace without justice. Only the way God does justice is very, it's an all-inclusive justice. He dies for everyone. And every time I'm tempted to point my finger it's some other human who's done injustice. The Holy Spirit reminds me. The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance of just how loved I am. Jesus died for me. I am beloved. I am loved. I'm loved not because I deserve it, not because I earned it, because God loves me. This is the difference between the world and God's kingdom. Justice must be done, and on the cross it was. So peace is now available not just to the good boys and girls, not just to those who are in the right, but to everyone who would say, I need to be forgiven too. I need to be forgiven. Am I loved? Am I loved? You're loved. You're loved. Can we stand together please?
We obey because we love. We love because we've been loved. Not just as a concept, but because God comes close. He actually loves us. Captures our affections. God has a way of meeting us like in the dirt, in the mire of life. When we feel most unlovable, we look up and we find God right there. Right there. Loving us in our worst. When you've experienced God in that way, with that sort of closeness, it then empowers us to go love people who we disagree with, who we see as a threat, who are actually evil, like really bad people who want to like shoot people. And we begin to pray for them, bless them, do good to them. That's how we overcome evil, isn't by retaliating, it's by loving. Not just because we ought, but because we have experienced the love of God in Christ. He's demonstrated his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. That gets right down to the heart of the gospel. Not just the idea of God's love, but this like life-transforming experience of it. And it makes you want to just get more of it and more of it and more of it. It makes you become one of those like uh, slightly crazy Christians who just want to like tell the world. <laughs> like you just can't shut up about it. Not just because you ought, but because you're loved. Father, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you capture our hearts afresh? Would you convince us that we are loved? Would you give us your perspective? Would you help us to feel what you feel? Would you fill our hearts with a love that might compel us to tell the world that we might extend uh, mercy to those who demand justice? that we would all drop our stones of condemnation and come running into the arms of our Father who loves us. Father, would you help us to, uh, to work these things out in real terms? The world doesn't need another sermon about your love. Um, it needs your people in acting sermons that embody your love. Would you help us? Would you fill our hearts um, with your love in a way that translates uh, to, to real action, feeding hungry people, clothing the naked, caring for the least, showing up for the lonely, not because it's convenient or because we like them, but because we are loved. 
Father, would you help us to be a church um, that, that has more of your heart that we would act like kids who grew up in homes where we have been loved, like your homes, because a lot of us did not grow up in that. A whole lot of us did not grow up knowing that we were loved. But in your family, Lord, would you help us to grow up like kids who are loved, that we would be secure, that we would be rooted in your love. And that when we feel anxious, because we're in the wrong place when the angry crowd is going by, Lord, that instead of feeling uh, fear or anxiety, we would feel your heart, your deep compassion for hurting people. Lord, that we would be like uh, Simon the Tanner who laid, who laid hands on the guy who used to be called Saul the one who wanted to murder Christians. Lord, would you give us courage to offer hands of healing to a broken world? 